Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. How to be used by God. God wants to use you. Did you know that? God wants to use you in such a great way. He wants to take your life and use it to advance his gospel and to teach others about his word. God wants to use everything that you've ever gone through, the good, the bad, and all the ugly, to transform lives for the kingdom of God. I think about Noah. I think also about Abraham, how God raised up a man and a woman to be used to, to build a great nation. And then Isaac and Joseph. We read about Moses, how God used that man to lead God's people out of the bondage of Egypt. And just as God used Moses, God used the Lord Jesus Christ himself in human form to lead all of his people out of the bondage of sin so we could have eternal life. We transition into the New Testament. We could talk all day about all the Old Testament characters. But now let me just th talk about Stephen. Stephen was a deacon in the early church, we believe. And he preached a sermon. And he preached a sermon that was so hot and heavy that it got him stoned. Oh, man. Could you imagine preaching a sermon so in such a way that people didn't like it, that they picked up rocks and started throwing them at you? Now, you can throw all the bananas you want to at me, and I'll put them in my kitchen <laughs> and my smoothies. But don't be throwing rocks at me, please. In Jesus' name, don't do that. We read about Peter, how he preached on the day of Pentecost, and thousands of people came to know Christ as Savior. We read about Paul, how God transformed his life, once a persecutor of the church, and then the great proclaimer of the church. God wants to use you just like he used them. I think about some of the ladies in the New Testament, like Mary, how God didn't use a man to give birth to the Son of God, but God used a lady, a humble servant of the Lord named Mary, to give birth to the Son of God in human form. God can use men and women in their own special way, and today I want to share with you three steps of how we can be used of God. But let me ask you a question before I give you these steps. Do you sincerely want God to use you for the rest of your life? From this moment forward, if you want God to use you, say amen. amen. Awesome. Now we're all in agreement here that we all want to be used by God. Let me share with you three steps that we can take to make sure we're going to be used by God. I want to share with you from verses, um, verses 20 down to, to verse number 22. I read these three verses I wrote down first of all. God will use you if you are sanctified. God will use you if you are sanctified. Let's keep in mind who's writing this letter. Paul the Apostle is writing to young Timothy in the faith. We believe Paul was about 60 years old when he wrote this letter, and Timothy was around 30 years old. Paul, in, in one aspect, was a, a seasoned veteran preacher of the gospel, and Timothy was a new young man involved in the ministry, and Paul was writing to him in this book, this letter, about fulfilling the calling that God has placed on his life. But listen here today, church, that you cannot be used of God to fulfill your calling if you are not sanctified. Sanctification. Say sanctification with me on three. One, two, three. Sanctification. This is a big theological term that we use to just simply say that at one point in your life, God changed you. 
and he saved you. And then from that moment, you were instantly separated and set apart from the world. And that moment was then. We didn't understand it. Like when I was at Emory and Henry College uh, back in 2005, I bowed my knee and asked Jesus to save me. I didn't understand all the stuff about theology then. And listen, God knows I still don't understand all about it. But God is helping me along the way and is helping you along the way. But we know that sanctification happened at one time. But then, throughout the rest of our Christian journey, we are continually being sanctified more like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's my prayer that God would use every service, that God would use every song, that God would use every sermon to draw us closer to himself. That's what the Christian life's all about. Listen, it's not about walking the aisle, shaking the pastor's hand, praying with the pastor and letting the pastor baptize you, and then going on about your business. That's just the very, very beginning of the Christian life. God wants us to go forward and ask ourselves this question. God, is there anything in my life that is hindering my walk with you? If it is, God help me to get rid of it. There's three words I want to draw your attention to in this passage. We've kind of talked about one of them already. We'll get back to sanctification here in a few minutes. But look at verse number 21. The Bible says purge. Say that word with me. Purge. Say it again, please. Purge. If you mark in your Bibles, perhaps you want to underline this verse or this word or circle it or highlight it or take note of it. I wrote down this. God wants to use you if you're sanctified, but here's what I wrote down. To be purged means to be cleansed thoroughly. To be purged means to be cleansed thoroughly. There was a day in your life, there was a day in my life, when we were so contaminated by sin. We were so filthy by the deceitfulness of sin that God had to step in and clean us up. And I'm here to tell you something. God is still working on me. And I look out of this auditorium and I can see men and women that God is still working on them. And so may God continue to purge us. There's a time, I believe purging is a, is a one-time event. And we'll get into another word that'll talk about the daily aspect of being cleansed. This word purge, it means that at one point in your life, when you accepted Jesus as your Savior, God cleansed you from all of your past, present, and future sins. And so when you stand before Him, He says, I see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. <coughs> the Bible says, and He who knew no sin, was made or became sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Him. Today, you're cleansed not because you took a shower this morning or last night. You're cleansed because you had a blood bath that was spilled on Calvary 2,000 years ago and His blood is covering your sins. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It's interesting how God can take something that is hard to get out of our garments. If you've ever got blood in your nice white shirt, it is hard to clean. But God takes one of the hardest things for man to clean, and he cleanses us with it. I wonder, has there been a time in your life when you've been purged from your sins? When they've been all wiped away clean? Well, if not, maybe today is the day that you can be sanctified and purged. The Bible goes on to say in verse 21, it says, if a man therefore purge himself from these, speaking of the things back in verse number 20, he shall be a vessel unto honor, and check out the word sanctified. Here's another word I want you to underline. I wrote down this definition. I also, not only to be purged means to be cleansed thoroughly, but I wrote down this. To be sanctified means to be made holy. To be sanctified means to be made holy. I know that sometimes we as conservative Baptists get this idea that we are a little bit holier. And somebody else down the road. But I'm here to tell you something. 
There's nothing holy about you or me except Jesus Christ. There's nothing good about you. There's nothing good about me except Jesus Christ. There's nothing righteous about you or nothing righteous about me except for Jesus Christ. So let us be mindful before we step on our, our, our platform and our soapbox and start trying to point our fingers at everybody else to know this, that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And the only reason why we are justified and sanctified in God's eyes is because He is the one who made us that way through the blood of Jesus. And so God wants us to be sanctified. There was a time in your life where you were sanctified by Him. And then every day there's a process where we are continually trying to get into God's Word, trying to learn more about Him. And listen, I'm here to tell you something. When I was a new child of God, when I was 16, around 16 or 17, I read through the Bible for the very first time in my life. And listen, I walked around the high school thinking that I knew everything about the Bible. But I'll tell you one thing. I wish I could go back and just pat myself on the back and say, listen, buddy, you might think you know everything about the Bible, but you sure don't. Give us some time. You'll figure out that there's hardly anything you know about this book. And the more you study this book right here, the more you realize how little you know. And the one thing I've learned lately is that God wants us to be sanctified. And here, check it out now. It says, and meat, not M-E-A-T, not the meat you eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but M-E-E-T, meat for the master's use. I like this word. This word literally means this. Meat for literally means this. Somebody who is easily used, somebody who is useful, and somebody who is profitable. I wonder today... If you are more profitable for the use of God or for the devil. To be sanctified means to be made holy. Let God make you holy. To be purged means to be cleansed thoroughly. Let God purge you from all your sins. But now I want to draw your attention to verse 22. The Bible moves forward and and he gives a list of all these things. He says flee, that means to run away from or avoid a youthful or juvenile or young lust. Or these strong, passionate desires. He says, but follow righteousness. Read these with me out loud. But follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace. Read them again. Righteousness, faith, charity, peace. Read it one more time. Righteousness, faith, charity, peace. It says, with them that call on the name of the Lord. Check out these last few words. Out of a pure heart. I want to draw your attention to the word pure. I believe there's a purging process, there's a sanctification process, but there's also a purifying process. Several years ago, I went to the grocery store and I bought a pitcher that you put water in and there's a filter in that pitcher. And what it does, you can take the tap water, you can pour the tap water in it, and it goes through a filtering process to where that water, when it gets through the filtering process, it becomes purified drinking water. And perhaps I need to change that filter because I haven't changed it in years. Uh, But that'll be our little secret, okay? (laughs) Just as we take a, a system and we pour water through it to get out all the impurities, God wants us every single day to be cleansed. I wrote down this, to be pure means to be cleansed daily. To be pure means to be cleansed daily. A pure heart. God is more concerned about a heart of purity worshiping him than a heart that is talented. Hear me well today. God wants us all to come before him with a pure heart. Instead of following after all the youthful or young desires that that some young adolescent might have, the Bible says instead of chasing all those, we are to chase righteousness, right living, 
We are to chase faith. Something that pleases God is faith, hope, and charity. And he goes on to say, charity, that is love. God wants us to love and peace. God will use you if you are sanctified. Will you let God set you apart to be used? Do you want to be used by God, church? Well, we've looked at how we can be used of God from the first step. But now let me share with you from verse 23, the second step of how God can use you. I wrote on this. God will use you if you have a discerning mind. God will use you if you have a discerning mind. In other words, you have to think for yourself. I believe in childlike faith. But I believe once we become adults in our faith, we still are to have that childlike faith, but we're to use our own mind and dig into God's word and study it for ourselves. Look at verse 23. It says, But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. I want to share with you Five uncommon questions kids ask about God. It's from an article in childrensministry.com. And here's one. I, you got to love children because sometimes they ask some of the strangest things. But it says this. When does God eat dinner? <laughs> you ever wonder when God eats dinner? I like this one. It says, where does God go for his summer vacation? <laughs> Did you know God never takes a vacation? The Bible says he never slumbers nor sleeps. Can you imagine that? Being up 24-7. Here, here's one that's very interesting. How can God listen to everyone at the same time? Wow. Have you ever had to try to be in two conversations one time, listening with your left ear and one and listening to your right ear with one and trying to chime in here and chime in here? It's hard. Maybe some of y'all are, are good at it, but, but I'm not good at that. i got to be focused on one thing at a time. <laughs> but it's interesting. God can listen to all of us at one time. In fact, have you ever been in a, in a meeting where everybody just started praying out loud together? It's interesting if you've never been to it. Everybody out loud praying together at their own prayer. And, and if you were to walk in that room, you'd be like, man, I can't hear what anybody's saying. All I hear is chatter in the background. Well, imagine God, if everybody in the entire world right now, the, I don't know, seven, eight billion people that are living in the world, if everybody began praying to him right now out loud, he could hear us all clearly at the same time. Here's another one. Does God like me better than my brother? <laughs> well, I know God likes me better than my brother because I don't have a brother. <laughs> and then here's one that kids ask, are there shortcuts to heaven? No, there's not. The only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. But here, here I want to I share this question with you. Here's the question that sometimes we ask. It says, can God build a rock? That is so big that he can't lift? Or can God build a rock that is so heavy that it's too heavy for him to lift? You know, it's interesting. Whether you say yes or no, somebody has you in a trap. God is omnipotent, He is all powerful. But I believe questions like the one I just asked you are some of the questions the Bible is telling us here in verse 23 to avoid because they are foolish. And they gender strives. They, they are not necessarily unlearned. This word unlearned literally means, um, it means this. It means uninstructed. So I wrote down these few thoughts. I wrote down the first half of the verse, 23. I wrote down this. Avoid foolish questions with a purpose to cause strife. That question, can God build a rock that is so big he can't lift, is a question that is just generated to produce controversy and to produce contention. 
And we can start debating all that. And listen, the more that I study the Bible, the more I am less concerned about debating the scriptures with somebody else. You see, my job is not to go out to debate the word of God with somebody. My job is to go out and to declare God's word to somebody in the same way with you. Now, listen, I believe there's a time and a place for us to have a discussion with somebody who doesn't believe the Bible. And we can have a a philosophical conversation about some of these things. But listen, when somebody's asking a question like that, oftentimes they're asking it in a way to trip you up. I've been there. I used to enjoy asking people those kind of questions. It was interesting for me. But listen, as I study the Word of God, I know that those questions are questions we are to avoid if the purpose behind it is to generate strife or contention. And then I wrote down as I read unlearned, this simply means uninstructed or Literally, the Greek lexicon says stupid. So I wrote down this. I wanted to be polite. Avoid uninstructed questions with a purpose to cause strife. I do not believe there are stupid questions. I believe every question is good. Now, I do believe there are stupid questions if they are generated and made and asked with a purpose to cause division and contention. Those are the uninstructed and foolish questions. And as I was reading verse 23, I wrote down this third thought. Ask questions with a purpose to learn more about God. A discerning mind is what this verse is talking about. May God help us that when we are studying God's word, when we're listening to somebody preach and teach the word of God, when we we don't just hear a sermon and just walk away saying, well, everything that he said is exactly true. No, we take what is being said And we sift it through the word of God and we line it up with the scriptures. And when the scriptures are lined up properly, we find out that, hey, we can teach and preach God's word with great authority as long as it matches the heartbeat of God. And when we ask questions, there's nothing wrong with questions. Questions are are encouraged around here. But let us not be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes who when they asked Jesus a question, they were only asking him so they could hang him on the cross. God will use you if you have a discerning mind. There's another verse in the scripture that says this. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge a righteous judgment. What that means is have a discerning spirit. The word judge means to discern. I'm not saying we need to go out and point our fingers at people. Because, I mean, the way you judge somebody is the way you're going to be judged by them. But here, all I'm saying is this. Let us have a discerning mind. And when we have a discerning mind that we can say, hey, God can use me if. I am sanctified, and if I'm willing to let him take my mind and transform it, as Romans 12 says. Do you want to be used by God, church? Do you want God to take your life and use it like he used some of the saints of yesterday? Well, let me share with you the third way. From the last part of the verses, verses 24 through 26, I wrote down this. God will use you if you have a servant's heart. God will use you if you have a servant's heart. As I read verse 24, I wrote down this. Patiently serve God. May I take you back to the Old Testament? I know we already talked about Abraham and Sarah. But Brother Joel mentioned something very, very profound in uh, uh, one of the Sunday school lessons recently, and, and I want to share it with you if I haven't shared it with you yet. He talked about old brother Abraham and old sister Sarah, how God made a promise to them, how that God was going to build a giant nation through them, and they got a little older, 
in life. They got up into their 90s, and they still haven't seen that child because they got a little impatient. And so Abraham and Sarah agree, agreed that they would take Hagar, one of the maids there, and Abraham would lie with her, and they had a son named Ishmael. You know, it's interesting. When we are not patiently waiting and willing to serve God, the decisions we make will not just affect us, but it may affect the generations to come. And did you know that because Abraham and Sarah, this is what Brother Joel shared with us, that because Abraham and Sarah was unwilling to be patient and wait on the promises of God, they did something, and we are still reaping the consequences to this very day in the Middle East. All of the controversy can be traced all the way back to the days of Ishmael and Isaac. Patiently serve God. Look at verse 24. It says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patience. Patiently serve God, church. Patience truly is a virtue. But God knows we all need it in our culture and in our life. As I read verse 25, I wrote down this. Not only patiently serve God, I wrote down this. Humbly serve God. Humbly serve God. There's no doubt as, as I look out this auditorium today, I see individuals, men and women, that are truly gifted by God to do certain things. Some of you are gifted to, to teach and to, to preach, and some of you are gifted to play instruments and to sing, and some of you are gifted in administrative ways. You can just organize stuff. And listen, there's so many gifts here in this church. I mean, I'm just, I'm amazed, and I'm thankful to it. But we need to understand this. Verse 25 says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. In other words, I just wrote down this. Humbly serve God. Let us not... Be lifted up with pride as we serve the Lord, but let us humbly in meekness and lowliness of mind serve the Lord. Remember Jesus in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself, himself. He humbled himself and became a servant all the way to his dying breath. So let us serve God with meekness and humbleness. Moses was a man full of meekness, not perfect, but a man who served God with meekness. Meekness, by the way, is not weakness. Some people mistake somebody who is humble and meek as somebody who is very, very weak. But I submit to you that meekness is controlled strength. Knowing when to flex and when to relax. Today, church, that's what being humble is about. Knowing when God wants you to step out into the front to be used of him, and then knowing when God wants you to stay in the backgrounds and serve God there. God wants us all in our places, so let us serve him with a heart that is willing to do so. But then as I read the last part of verse 25 and verse 26, I wrote down this. Not just pa uh, patiently serve God, not just humbly serve God, but I wrote down this. Compassionately serve God. I know we talk about love all the time, but that's what the Bible is all about, love, right? Compassionately serve God. Look at verse 25. It goes on to say, if God peradventure, this word peradventure is a word that's not used much in our, in our modern language, but it just simply means suppose. So if God suppose or peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. This word repentance, this, in this context, it means a reversal of your understanding and knowledge about God. There was a time in my life when I knew about God, but I didn't know God. And I'm afraid there's a lot of people today who know all about God and all about Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. So we need that reversal of the mind saying that he is more than just the God of the universe. He is the God of my heart, and he's the Lord of my life, and he's my Savior and my God. 
And then it goes on to say here in verse 26, And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. As I read this part, I just think about how God is calling us to take his word with love into the world. You see, we can either abide by the will of God, or here, as the Bible says here, the will of the devil. You see, I believe God's will is that nobody perishes. And that nobody would spend eternity in hell. But the devil's will is that anybody and everybody he can pull along with him will go there too. Do you want to be used by God, church? I close with, with a thought that, that you probably all are very familiar with that, that the preachers of yesterday used to quote. I believe it's originated by D.L. Moody, or maybe he popularized this quote. He said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man that is completely surrendered to his will. And it's time that we, as a body of believers here in Roanoke, Virginia, we submit to God's will and his word and say, God, wherever, God, whenever, God, however, use me. Do you want to be used by God, church? Well, he can do it if you have a servant's heart, if you have a discerning mind, and if you've been sanctified. May God take your life. May God take my life. And may he break it like he broke the five loaves of bread and the two small fishes. And may he use us and feed the multitudes with the gospel. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week. <laughs>